Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. Let's get started. Thank you, intro man. How you doing, Frank? It's just us, at least to start the show. We've sent out an SOS to some people. Um, we were expecting some more people, but it's just us. We can hold down the fort. And we're going to be talking about an interesting topic here. This age-old debate in the value investing community, the idea of cheapness versus company quality. Are those are those always at odds? Is there one that you should focus on? We'll talk about all that. Different philosophies, maybe some examples. The idea of net nets as well. That, that's a, that's always a fun one on cheapness in general. Um, but before we get into that, as you can tell by our lovely ticker that we have down at the uh, bottom of the screen, for those of you watching on YouTube, um, since we do have the podcast version, FYI, a number of you have been taking advantage of that. So thank you. Um, but for those watching the video, we have this ticker down here reminding you to check out the links in the description and to join our Discord and to be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button while you're at it. That's always nice. Some nice vanity metrics. We appreciate those as always. Um, but we also have our affiliate links down there in the description for ShareSite and also for Seeking Alpha. So be sure to take advantage of those, get some discounts there, and then go a long way towards helping the channel as well if you end up using uh, either of their premium plans. So with that said, Frank, how you doing? Yeah, good. The quality of this show keeps getting better. We've got things flashing along the bottom. We've got the intro man bringing us in. It's it's good. All we got to do is get people to turn up and we'd be a, have a good show here, I think. Yeah, StreamYard's been up in their game. We, uh, tell us if we're wrong, everyone, but I feel like the video quality is significantly better um, from what it normally is during the stream, at least from what we can see on the back end. It, it looks really crisp, which is good because we pay for the 1080p plan and we have been for a while, but this feels the most 1080p, at least from our perspective, that it's ever been. So that's good. So maybe something is improving. Um, so let us know uh, if that is the case or if we are just um, uh, hallucinating. <laughs> so um, I don't know, where, do, where do we want to start on this topic here? Um, oh, s- speaking of new features, it's not on StreamYard, but I noticed in the YouTube studio, you can actually put polls in the live chat. So uh, if you haven't already, go to the top of the chat. You can vote on our, which is really today's topic. Um, is cheaper better? Yes or no? We'll take a look at the end of the show. But uh, before the show started, it was right around 50-50. I think uh, people said no in general, that cheaper was not better, which is interesting. So that'll be pretty fun uh, to see what happens by the end of the show. Uh, so that's at the very top um, if you want to check out that poll there. Um, so uh is cheaper is cheaper better, Frank? What do we even mean when we say cheaper? Um, uh, what do you think of when you think of cheap versus? I, I always think of like cheap versus quality. I think that's the way most people think of it. Is that how you think of it? Yeah, I think it's a really hard question to answer because how you define each side of cheap or quality, or wh- whether you lean more towards growth versus value, which is the other kind of age long debate. Um, but the answer really it depends because sometimes something with such good quality could mean it's cheaper than it appears on a surface level. So five times earnings for one company is not the same as 20 times earnings for another, or it could be the same um, depending on the growth and everything else that's involved there. So 
it's a hard one to answer. I think if I had to pick a side, I'd say I'd take the value side all the time. Um, I think something can be cheap enough that almost everything else doesn't matter, which is you mentioned net nets in the intro, where I think at some point quality just doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, you have Tobias Carlisle and his studies that he's brought up through the acquirers multiple, which really just focuses strictly on value, mostly just an, an adjusted EV to EBIT multiple, um, which outperforms the Joel Greenblatt magic formula, um, at least in backtesting, which adds the quality aspect. So um, I guess the theory is there's some mean reversion to return on investor capital there. But yeah, if I had to take sides, I'm leaning towards value, but it depends. How do you yeah. think about that? That's, I think that's how I, I, to avoid being like a, it's kind of like a, a know-it-all answer when I'm like, well, cheapness isn't everything. Like uh, it, when you, th- when you say a company is cheap, you're factoring in quality inherently. That's kind of what I think of, but that's not a very helpful answer. Um, but yeah, the idea of like the price of the underlying business and um, not really caring about the quality nearly as much because it's so cheap. Um, uh, but, but it's kind of two sides of the same coin uh, price versus versus quality um, because quality would imply like what the company can grow at or, or whether it can sustain its current profits. And, and then the cheapness or the price that you're paying is the other side of it. So you, it's hard to look at one without the other. Um, but yeah, I think it, I, I think it'd be a, probably a good time to talk about net net since, since we brought them up. Um, first off, what is a net net? And then, uh, is there an easy way to find these sorts of things? Because I know they they can be potentially very lucrative, but they seem to be very rare uh, in, in today's in today's market, especially. But if not, really most markets uh, throughout history. I guess the easy way to find them is to go to Japan, but beyond that, they <laughs> yeah, they true, are very yeah. rare. Japan's the one so. weird market where they appear a lot, um, partly because of the conser- conservative nature of their businesses. Um, they hoard a lot of cash, which affects obviously that price to net current asset value multiple as they really don't like debt and they really don't like spending the cash they build up. So eventually a lot of these Japanese companies turn into net nets due to their um, reluctance to allocate capital, I guess, towards growing a business. So Japan is one spot where they turn out all the time and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but with a net net, I think you want a catalyst, and that's probably some type of dividend or buybacks, either one, depending on um, what you prefer and the type of company, I guess. Or maybe there's an activist involved and they're going to really return to a much better company. So, yeah, I think it's interesting, and they definitely are more rare than they used to be. I think just the access to information and yeah, I guess investors have a lot more to look at and it's easy to find screeners and things like that made the historical net nets that were probably better quality don't exist as much anymore, particularly in a market like the US. Um, but they're around and from time to time they pop up. So, so quality quality really matters or maybe more so capital allocation decisions always matter um, because sure, you have a bunch of cash on the balance sheet, but if it's just stagnant and has no way of getting out um, or invested in anything or given back to shareholders, does it really matter? Um, I, th- I think it's the, the main point I, there. And I guess quality in a net net is different than when we're generally talking about quality because most net nets 
are poor businesses, at least very average businesses. That's why they're cheap usually. Yeah. But within there, there's better quality than other net nets, not compared to a usual good business that would never trade that cheap. Sure. And <laughs> Lionel, Lionel in the chat is saying, uh, high quality at low price is best. Yeah. Yes, well, we'd agree. <laughs> but uh, um, it's a super, super rare combination. I guess it makes sense. Um, maybe maybe this goes to whether should you be focusing on cheapness first or quality first and looking for cheap quality or you know like well i get the overarching goal is the super cheap wonderful business but those are super rare so what are you looking for in the meantime do you focus on cheapness first or do you focus on quality like you know return on invested capital and those sorts of metrics first um uh, what's kind of the way to look at that? I know you, you would tend to, Frank, you'd probably first, your first move would probably be uh, a market cap sort of thing, looking for, for micro caps ideally. And then from there, are you looking for probably quality metrics, I, I would assume? Or, or is like net nets kind of your uh, the first thing you ideally would want to go for? Um, I know it's probably an it depends answer, but do you have kind of like a preference when you're screening companies? I think usually I'm looking for quality first and then, um, price kind of comes secondary. A lot of the companies I follow are probably high quality businesses, but they aren't cheap enough. So I kind of just sit and wait, I guess. Um, but every now and then I'll, an idea will be pitched or thrown around somewhere. And all I know about the company is the ticker and that it's objectively cheap. Um, so that can spark interest in something as well. I don't think you have to pick one or the other. Um, but I would lean towards quality usually because I'm, typically looking for a long-term kind of business. Um, so there has to be some kind of quality attached to that, um, particularly in the micro cap space, if you want to be a long-term investor as well. So I would say I probably find ideas mostly from the quality side and then hope that valuation comes along with it or in the future comes along, I guess. Do you have an obvious like red flag that this, like um, maybe the company has really great quality metrics, but it's just so expensive. Is there like a particular metric you look for uh, that you, you would quickly kind of put something to the side, even if other things look pretty good? I think generally speaking, and this obviously depends on the business, but a PE of 15 is, I would prefer it to be below that. Um, okay. If it's yeah. above, then there's a, there's more work to do. There's how much growth is applied within that multiple. Um, and it's, I think it would be rare that I'd pay over 15 times the earnings and definitely rare that I'd pay over 20. Happy to hold something that gets that priced on the flip side, I guess. But yeah, on a real simple valuation basis, something like that. Um, but otherwise, unprofitable companies, I usually hold back on a little bit too. Sometimes there's underlying earnings or something, a temporary problem taking place that could make an unprofitable company appealing. But yeah, there's just some things where you could quickly turn down a business or obviously the quickest one is circle of competence. If I look at a... Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of companies that I just read the description and that's the hard pass straight away. That's probably most just because there's so many different types of businesses out there and some of them not really providing much value, but but remain publicly traded regardless, or at least they don't, or at least it's very hard to see where they're actually providing value. Um, you know, or it's just very hard to understand what they're even doing. Um which is kind of a non-starter for someone trying to go deep on a business, obviously. Um, 
Ba here in the chat says, Frank, does that mean that you would never buy companies like Costco since it was never below a 15 PE, at least from what he knows? I there are, I think what he's getting at is some companies just kind of float above that level and just keep outpacing it via growth. Um, and then you miss out on all those potential returns. Uh, is that I, what I should that clarify there that this that's a very general metric. Like it's a kind of yeah. market average metric where something below that could be cheap, but there's plenty of things below 15 times earnings that is not cheap at all. And there's plenty of things over that that could be cheap. So yeah, well, it's so- a very general rule. Um, that if I'm just screening something really quickly, that would stand out to me. But obviously, it depends on the business. So I didn't buy Costco, so maybe it means, <laughs> means that I would pass on a <laughs> maybe, Costco. Maybe, yes. Yes for um, now. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it always depends, especially when you're talking about a multiple. I think kind of along the same lines, uh, Math- Matthias here asks, um, how about, how about companies that look objectively expensive but are actually cheap in terms of the value of future cash flows? In other words, the quality kind of outweighs um, some of these objective metrics. Uh, it sounds kind of like the same kind of question, right? Yeah, I'm kind of less comfortable doing that because the more growth you're predicting, the less comfortable I would be. Um, I'm more confident in predicting something that's grown five or ten times um, cash flows or five to ten percent cash flows each year, whereas if it gets up to twenty or thirty, then I get less comfortable, and that could make something look cheap if it's growing at thirty percent annually um, on a future cash flow basis. But I'm less confident that it can actually continue to do that, which is where moat and things, I guess, come into it. But the higher that growth rate is, the less comfortable I am yeah, in you, being. Confident you need more to go right, which. It's inevitably fortune telling. Like you never really know what the future is going to hold. So the more that's out there in the future, the more that you need to happen in the future. That's that's a risk in itself. Um, because if that doesn't pan out, which there's always a chance it doesn't, then that might sting. Uh, especially if other people were counting on that growth and the growth doesn't come. So um, just because a company grew in the past or is assumed that it will grow a bunch in the future doesn't mean that it will. So just got to factor that into. That's where cheapness comes in. You'd you'd idea like a cheap business because then you're kind of insulated. That's it. Um, I, I know Karan would probably have some comments on this with uh, protecting the downside first. I think that seems to be his general kind of first rule, if he has one, is is uh, focusing on the downside first and the upside will take care of itself. And so you look at kind of quality after sort of cheapness. I would think um, cheapness kind of drives the first the first layer of analysis and then, and then quality is after that. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'd be more in the Quran camp, like trying to look at downside first, at least most of the time, um, which would really be a cheapness sort of analysis before you get into uh, some of these company quality metrics. But um, you got to look at both in any event. So <laughs> the, the funny part about this whole, like, buy a wonderful business or buy a cheap business debate, if you can call it that it's, you still have to look at both. You can't just ignore um, such an important factor, um, business quality versus the price of the business. Obviously there's a price that you wouldn't pay for even the best business in the world. And then obviously there is uh, um, a price you would pay even for a terrible business um, if, if it had the right metrics. Um so it's, it's sort of like a, it's a helpful debate for just kind of figuring out how to look at stocks, but it's not like it's an end all be all and shouldn't be. 
Yeah, I think if to kind of help choose why I would choose, I guess, value over quality, I think you can rely more on value. Um, if something's obviously cheap, that's kind of your downside protection baked in there where is you could perceive something as quality and be more easily be wrong, I think. Or the oh, quality like like objective versus subjective, like that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And also just how it could um, change over time. Like to, durability is a hard thing to know. Um, I can be confident something's going to remain a quality business for two or three years, but as you move out five, 10, 15 years, it's much harder to be confident in that. Um, whereas if something is cheap now, it's cheap now. That's all that matters. Whether you get a multiple re-rate and it becomes um, more attractive on a valuation basis in the future doesn't matter so much. If it's cheap and stays cheap, it doesn't matter. Um so I guess that's another reason why I'd lean towards value. You could always get valuation wrong too, though. So yeah, true. <laughs> and, and there's always the chance of fraud, of course. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never know what you you never really know till till you know. Um, Matthias uh, comes back with a Munger comment here. Over the long quote, over the long term, it's hard for a stock mm-hmm. to earn a much better return than the business which underlies it earns end quote. Munger would probably be deep in that wonderful business camp. Um, so it makes sense that he would say that. And I guess it's worked out pretty well for him. <laughs> but you could argue he's in a much different position now, given the amount of money he has to manage. Um, and the universe of opportunities is very different compared to um, guys like us with little itty bitty funds compared to his, um, uh, where just one cheap stock, which might have a very small market cap for someone like him, but it's totally sufficient for, for guys like us, you know, that opportunity is much more open to us. So there could be some of that bias in there and look who has arrived. The man himself. (laughs) How are you doing? (laughs) We're we're so glad to have you here. Now everyone, we can start the show now. Um, So, um everyone who's got questions for Karan, let's get let's get them warmed up uh, we'll, we'll pay attention to the chat um but Karan, we're talking about this whole debate cheapness cheapness versus wonderful business the cheapness versus quality i guess um got some interesting questions going already about i thought um, you would start off with heritage your recent purchase oh sure yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that, that's definitely, a, push it. Yeah. definitely a cheapness play uh, quality is almost irrelevant since they're liquidating <laughs> but uh uh, yeah, I did add a very a, a baby position in in Seridage in my uh, stock portfolio. Um, uh, the that would have been a couple of days ago. So um, <laughs> to this question here from is that Soshin? Uh, any any cheap any cheap ones interest you now? Seridage has definitely been on my list for a long time, but I've never wanted to pull the trigger. Uh, but I opened up kind of this feeler position that I'm looking to build out. Um, now that they're kind of, they're, they've proven that they're they're actually liquidating these things pretty quickly. They're paying down the debt like they should be, or at least like I think they should be. Um, and things seem, and the the risk uh, the risk that they're facing now with that debt bubble and all the uncertainty is lower. Of course, the price is higher than it was a few months ago, but you know it's it's a risk reward trade off, I guess. Um, so yeah, it seemed it seemed like a interesting enough opportunity to open up a small position having watched it from afar for a while now. 
And you sold off metals, right? To get into yeah, that's that's the main thing that's funding it. Um, I'm going to sell off the rest of it. There's very little left uh, on Monday, at least that's the plan. Um, and then I'll probably have kind of what I would consider like a half position in Seritage and then build from nice. there. At least that's the plan, but that could always change. My main focus is this private business purchase, which we're, we're probably going to be pushing closing back a week or so um, to after Christmas, which will be better <laughs> for me because I'll be traveling. I uh, wouldn't want to buy a business and then immediately travel uh, for the weekend. That'd be kind of sad. Um, so uh, that's that's definitely taking the majority of my focus regardless. So um, maybe Sarah is just a distraction in the meantime. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. Yeah. Is Frank, have you been looking to Saratage at any point at 5, 8, 12? Or is it just like easy pass? Um, well, my whole thesis around it was I would like if it was going to liquidate. Like before that was any ha- ever happening, that was the appealing side to me. And then as they started to liquidate, I think I was less less confident in the value of the portfolio by that time. So, yeah, I think it kind of sat on the edge there where I almost liked it, but not quite enough. I've been there for a while. Um, yeah, I'm, st- I st- I'm still not enamored with it, but I like it a lot more than my metals position at this point. So that's kind of uh, well, yeah. There was a time I when I, th- I thought it was worth thirty dollars per share. Like the that's what I thought their value was at least that. So liquidation seemed appealing when they were ten, fifteen, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But now I'm less confident that they're even worth say twenty per share. So yeah, I don't know. This was like late 2020, I think. That's when you were into it, right? Yeah, I think like it would be early one. Yeah. Maybe around the time Monish and all that were mucking around with it. So a while ago. Brian, you've they been going the assets for like $35 per share. So yeah, you wouldn't assume it goes way different, but the thesis has definitely changed a lot over time. It really it's makes me wonder what were the previous CEO doing? Like, I mean, the entire team. What were they doing? <laughs> yeah, what I, what I really didn't like is when new management took over and they're talking about all these grand plans of these massive redevelopments. I'm like, I, first off, I don't know how long this is going to take. It's probably going to take forever. And then sure enough, it was. And like, this is a team, I don't know what they've really developed at any point. So I just really didn't like the amount of uncertainty there because um, uh, development's a rather speculative game. It's sort of. Um, and it's a very complicated game regardless. So. I didn't really like that. And then when they decided to liquidate, it's like, okay, now they're doing what we kind of all were waiting for them for them to sort of do, at least at some level. Uh, at least that was a big part of like kind of the valuation. So um, I, I've increasingly become more comfortable with the idea, uh, whereas before I just I was not interested given the, the debt. They had like a debt clock, but also this massive development obligation that they were taking on, um, which is I did not like that recipe. So I'm... I guess for their sake, I'm glad they uh, decided just to liquidate. Um, and that's when Pabrai pretty much sold his position yeah. to like when they, yeah, he's like, I have no confidence in the management of the I'm selling yeah. and the stocks like yeah. short and up since. Dropped all the way to five bucks or whatever. <laughs> now, now it's up to about 12. Um, yeah. yeah, here I actually can pull Easy double. <laughs> yeah, easy double says Pabrai. So, I mean, <laughs> if they hit, if they get up to the $18, you know, minimum in quotes that they are targeting for their, or that management is quoted as being their like liquidation value, 18 bucks a share to 20, whatever a share was kind of the range they gave. Um, then like, you know, you hold, you hold it for a year or two 
And if, if it hits that 18 then uh, or gets close to that 18, then I'd be looking to sell or hold a liquidation, whatever it is. That's kind of the thesis. It's not a very long-term hold, but um, neither, neither were my metals holding. So <laughs> look, at it, look at it that way. I'd say conservatively, like if you, I mean, Manu's recent question, which is like $18 per share, what's the probability that you guys were assigned to it? Do you think it'll go at 18 or somewhat higher? You guys have any thoughts on that? I've just been, I, I don't want to say I'm assuming 18 because there's a chance that it, it falls below. But I would say for me, if it's quickly rises up to 18 before we're even close to liquid actual liquidation, I would probably just sell. Um, unless there's some clear proof that they have a lot more untapped value. Um, but yeah, just uh, a, a quick in and out sort of thing. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it actually goes. It's a value um, trade right there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty, it's, it, yeah kind of. Trade. Yeah, it, it is kind of. It's like a fundamental trade, and if it falls well below twelve, which it could, um, I might look to add quite a bit more and wait it out. Unless there's some fundamental shift in the real estate market, um, which hasn't quite happened yet. There's some slowing overall, but they still have a ton of properties under contract, and at least in, from my job of working in commercial real estate, transactions are slowing, but they're not like drying up. There's just kind of a lot of squeamishness with like ongoing transactions where now the interest rate is 2% higher than it might've been many months ago when they went under contract. That's where a lot of the conflict is that's delaying things. Um, but yeah. So what sort of cap rates are you seeing? Like deals getting through? <laughs> that's a good that's question. See, one, one problem with my job as an attorney is I usually don't see the actual income numbers. I see the the price and then the, the, I just kind of take it from there. Um, but I know just in general from outside of my job, um, cap rates are slowly increasing, um, which is cause for concern, but we're not seeing like a massive spike like some people might have expected because there's still a lot of money swimming around and debt still is technically cheap if you compare it to the rate of inflation. So you know, rates are still pretty deeply negative. Real rates are still pretty deeply negative and extremely negative if you uh if you assume that the government is under under reporting inflation which is a fair thing to potentially do <laughs> so uh and plus you get all the tax benefits of commercial real estate so there's always that kind of demand um for profitable companies at least who want to write off a bunch of their income via depreciation and all the things that real estate offers so there's still a ton of demand it's just less than it might have been in 2021 where it was ridiculous <laughs> so so or maybe we're coming down to earth i guess um given the rocky kind of economic climate in general. But I don't want to, I don't want to get too macro focused here because that's not the point. Um, I think we still need Kran to answer the question in our title. Is cheaper better? Are you yeah. a value guy? Are you a quality guy? Are you a both? Where do you sit on that one? I love buying stuff below cash. So <laughs> that's what I said. I, that's why I predicted that. I was saying but, that Kran, Kran would look at that downside protection first to be a cheapness. But yeah, I mean, I think over the long term, that actually screws you over a little bit. But what do you mean? Like, I mean, it doesn't always work out. Some, I mean, a lot of things. I saw PBR being mentioned a lot in the chat. I mean, it's not a company I've looked at as such. It's sometimes completely stay away from, but um, just because I don't know much about oil stocks and everything. But I mean, there's other risks, probably. You know, if you see like a massive dividend, you see. Um, stuff trading for extremely cheap values. I mean, you turn into value traps over there in that space, right? So, 
You well, see, are you, they, you see dividend as a risk, like, and that it's not being reinvested. Why? Why do you say that? Wouldn't that no, protect I mean, your downside um, if it's if they're actually making the cash flows? But that's what. As long as they're not taking on like enormous debt to like pay and keep that dividend oh, high. Well, sure. Yeah, that sense. Gotcha. That they actually have the cash flows to sustain. That they actually have the cash yeah. or the cash flows. Yeah. Yeah, I think I you touched on Just quickly, in your answer there, you said something about over the long term that valuation might hurt you. Is that kind of implying that quality is more important for a long term investment? And if you're focused on strictly value, you tend to be more short term focused in investments? Or how do you think so about that? The best way is like that. I mean, like I've heard you talk about Japan in the past. So that's what I'm talking about. Like you can get stuff trading below cash. I think you were in Nintendo at one point, right? I never so, invested, just followed it closely. We oh, let okay. off the show talking about Japan, actually, very briefly. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, yes, you see these companies trading, you know, below cash, net nets, but has that really transferred into shareholder value? That's a big question. Yeah, that, so, that's something I touched on. There has to be some kind of catalyst or capital yeah. allocation decision that's going to create value for the shareholders so if you just sit there in a pile of cash there's no value to it but if you know that's a buyback or dividend or something coming um or some kind of transition into a better business model where that cash creates value that's when they're appealing which um in japan often isn't the case but they exist still i think i mean they might be there's again like two components too I think even an outsider is going to mention it. Like there's two components. There's one where it's running the operating business and the other is capital allocation. So a lot of CEOs tend to do the operating part well, but the capital allocation tends to be kind of crap in a lot of companies. So At least when you get to a certain scale. Once you get to yeah. a huge scale, it's very difficult to find an effective place for it. And Absolutely. Peter Lynch diversification, you know, famous concept. Um, it's very tempting because you have all this money and you don't have to do with it. Um, How do you feel about, so one thing I've been following recently or looking into surface level is Aussie coal stocks or just coal stocks more generally. And the price of coal is up about three or four X over the past year. Um, and that's led to some really cash rich businesses uh, that have to make this capital allocation decision. So at the moment they seem very cheap. Um, one in particular, Yen Coal, which is a about a five or six billion dollar company in Australia. Um, they're about to pay a dividend, assumedly if they follow their dividend policy properly, um, of about a dollar fifty per share. I think they traded about six dollars, so you've got like a twenty five percent yield roughly. How do you feel about a company that objectively is cheap right now, and you might get that quick twenty five percent? Maybe that's slightly off. Maybe that's closer to fifteen percent um but how do you feel something that's cheap now but that price a commodity price is going to come down at some point maybe what's the um, debt like uh I, off the top of my head i don't know but I'm pulling it, the balance they are you just going in for the quick dividend i mean it's I, i'm not invested to be clear it's a net cash position i know they have more cash than debt but yeah. um, uh, not sort. quite not quite not quite i'm looking at them right now um they have about 3.5 billion australian dollars in uh, long-term debt, and then about three point five billion in total cash. Uh, that is last twelve months. Let me go to the last. I quarter. have a feeling, yeah, yeah that's changed yeah, me, recently. I, I'm looking at the annual view. Let me go to last quarter. Um, 
Um, if, uh, regardless, I don't think that's a massive problem for them. Yeah, but I mean, they have, I guess I'm more getting to... the idea of temporary cheapness where it's clearly cheap right now. They're very cash rich and something's going to happen with that cash. Um, dividend is, seems to be the route they're going. There's other coal stocks that are doing buybacks. Um, but when it's temporary from a commodity price like that, is that something that interests you or you would avoid? For me, I, I get, would pass on it. I mean, yeah, I don't want to get into coal stocks. Slowly trying to shift because one of the reasons why I avoid a lot of these stocks is because it's not available on the brokerage that I'm using. So it's like an easy cut off for me. I mean, if I can't even invest in it, like I'm not going to dig into it a lot more. So that's you mean like commodity stocks in general? A lot of them do seem to I be mean, a lot of the Australian stocks and stuff. It doesn't show up on the brokerage. So sure, and that's kind of the reason why I've avoided like stuff like races and stuff that you know it seems like pub has been really pitching it out there but uh it's it's a pass for me because again it's not available so but would you yeah. but would you if it was i would definitely consider it yeah all right um, yeah, i think um they're becoming really appealing to me more so as a basket bet than holding just one um because I, I don't think there's any quality behind these and i think there's a lot of capital allocation risk attached to it um, there's arguments that you could even get a bit of a multiple re-rate on some of these um, particular it looks like it's gold. That's what it looks like with this coal company. I would <laughs> not go with the basket bet. Like I think a bigger position in this sounds interesting. So I think there's you- a hand call. Like another one is Whitehaven. WHC is the ticker if you want to pull it up, Jack. Um, and it's a very similar, slightly more expensive um they have different kind of quality of coal, which is something that I'm still learning about at this point. But um, it's a higher quality coal that sells for a higher price. Um, and their capital allocation decision is to buy back rather than pay a dividend. Um, so there's a few that are very similar, just as attractive as another. Um, and that's why the basket kind of is more intriguing to me, I guess, when it's this commodity play where it's a whole industry full of cheap stocks and there's a handful that are just as attractive, I think. So I don't think you need to concentrate your risk and then have some poor capital allocation decision screw you over completely when you have four or five that if two or three of them go right, it works out relatively relatively well for you, I guess. Yeah, here's one. With, yeah, this one has no long-term debt and has $1.2 billion Australian dollars in cash and is uh, currently at a... Market cap tab load is currently at a eight or almost nine billion Australian dollar market cap. So pretty sizable cash position with no debt. Frank, do you know the buyback yield on this? Not off the top of my head. This is the one I haven't followed as closely as Yang Cole. No. Um, and I should credit Tom here. He's the one that kind of messaged me and said to have a look at Yang Cole. Um, which he got from Jeremy Raper. So credit to both those two. Jeremy Raper on Twitter's put some really good stuff out. Tom's been going real deep into the commodities lately, hasn't he? He's been looking at oil, I know, for similar reasons. Yeah. I'm telling you, we're going to see Tom put like three X off his net worth into one oil stock and just (laughs) go from there. Just pull Charlie. He's got his next Belgian oil coming. (laughs) (laughs) Takes it over completely. (laughs) becomes john rockefeller (laughs) 
builds up the the investing with Tom Oil Trust. It pulls up in a store RV, just <laughs> yeah. Headquarters are are our Thor RV, <laughs> mobile headquarters. How about you, Jack? Something like coal stocks is that where you could get that quick kind of. It's a trade at the end of the day. It's not a long term investment. The, th- the thing about. Um, well, let's say I bought Yan Cole expecting the, the fat dividend. So I would invest in the stock. I'd get a 25% dividend, theoretically. I'd pay taxes on that dividend, probably. And then um, uh, the value of the stock would probably fall around in line with what the dividend was worth. So I feel like I just kind of took a forced sale for what? So if, it, if I'm just buying for that dividend, I really need to see something more long-term, I would think. Um, and when I... My my kind of knee jerk reaction with commodity stocks is to look at what was happening when it was kind of like at a you know normal price, um, and would the current valuation make sense if the commodity fell to whatever price and it kind of matched that historical value? But that's a really simplistic analysis, and you really have to know what they actually have right now because. What they had ten years ago might be very different to, than what they have in the ground right now. If 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 it's like a mining or an oil stock or some natural resource that they have to extract, is it, there's an inherently speculative element to it, which I don't like. Um, at least for a lot of these mining things, that's a part of the reason I'm selling off like kind of these metal stocks because I had a lot of gold mining stocks with that. It was like an ETF um, with that sort of thesis, and at least lately it did not really work out. Um, I, I held it for probably a year and a half that position kind of as a, I was thinking like a cash alternative did not work like that, but, uh, um, I I'm, I'm trying to be careful with, with commodity stocks from here, especially now that they seem pretty expensive. I see the argument for, for oil, but, um, it just feels very speculative, even though I think the speculation makes a lot of sense. It's just like, I'm not very comfortable pulling the trigger on it right now. Um, just yeah. to, and I know you haven't followed this one, but I'll just push back slightly on some of the comments yeah, around sure. the dividend and the share price falling and stuff. Yeah. One with the tax implications of the dividend, it's franked credits here in Australia. I don't know how that would affect foreign investors investing into Australia. Yeah, I but, wonder. Um, I'm actually in a tax not sure sense, it's, it's not as um, problematic for Aussie investors, at least. Um, and then with the share price kind of falling relative to the dividend, I don't think that's true because the prices of coal are still high. These cash flows, we know what roughly they're collecting on the price of coal. It's still happening. And these predictions of the dividend are from cash flows they've already received. They've yeah. Got, yeah. So they've already made enough cash flow to pay, pay that roughly $1.50 per share dividend. And theoretically, they're still collecting just as much to continue this in the future. So. Yeah, just to push yeah. back slightly, and I know you. Oh, no, yeah, I, that, I so. think that, I mean obviously the price would make a big difference here. Um, if you know the dividend is quote unquote free because it's so cheap, and you have you have a bunch of cash flows coming in like right now, then yeah, it could make some sense. So I'm not saying it would never make sense, and that dividends are bad or something because you know, they make sense in plenty of cases. Um, but I just I just try to be careful um, given like tax consequences and the fact that now the company has less cash to work with, um, especially if they have a bunch of debt, um, something to be wary of. Like for I, on a kind of flip side of that with um, not commodities, but I, I own sleep number, which is my probably worst balance sheet company that I own. I, t- I try to invest in companies that have in general, low debt, high cash flow um, and decent balance sheets. 
Um, but Sleep Number has quite a bit of debt, basically no cash, and has been financing a bunch of buybacks with debt. They have the cash flow to sustain it, but if that falls, they're in big trouble. Um, so it, it, it's like I try to be careful just relying on dividends or buybacks for my kind of returns because what really ultimately matters is the cash flow. And as long as they're not being like very stupid with it, it should be okay. But that, that, that's kind of the, if I had a stock where I thought management was being a little bit stupid, it might be that one. So I'm a little bit concerned there and I, I'm not looking to add at the moment. Um, but that's just one of like the general risks with um, sure. You, like you see, Oh great. They have this big buyback program, but uh, you have to ask how are they funding the buyback? Um, are they using the buybacks to offset like share-based compensation? There's a lot of questions you have to answer beyond that. Same with the dividend. Uh, where's the dividend come from? Like Karan already mentioned, are they pulling out debts to sustain the dividend or where's it really coming from? But yeah, it's kind of a long-winded way to say uh, it depends, I guess. <laughs> Would you at any point consider selling out of sleep number or are you just holding on now? Not at the moment. Uh, okay. I, I bought the sleep. No, uh, I bought a sleep number bed. I've been very pleased. So it's a good product for sure. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, but they have this, uh, when I wanted, I saw a quick sleep number tangent. When I went into this store, cause they have a, they have a bunch of stores. Um, they, uh, and they have they have a bunch of stores. That's kind of part of their like sort of debt problem. I get leases aren't technically debt, but they kind of are. So like they have a bunch of lease uh, leases out there. Um, they uh, I went into the store. It was a pretty good experience overall. The nice salesman. He, he gave us a nice discount as well without us really asking, which was which was nice. Um, I think because he actually liked us. Maybe I got just wooed by the charisma of the salesman, <laughs> but whatever it was. <laughs> um, uh, the he pointed us just at the most of their beds are kind of like a few grand, um, kind of their main models that they sell a lot of, but they have this one that's like $10,000, a $10,000 mattress. Like who, who buys that? It's like a car. Um, and it's, a uh, it, it, it's the one that can like fold in all the different directions and like has all like basically the, the best mattress you could probably find ever is that one, but it's super expensive. But the, the people who buy those, I was kind of asking about who buys those. He's like, was the people who really just want the best and they don't care what the price is. They, they come in, they're, they're the ones who replace their mattress every two years because they just want whatever the upgrade is. They, they, they don't care about the actual useful life of, of the mattress. It's, and I was thinking like, that's actually like, because that's obviously a huge margin right there for, for that product. And they kind of have that market like locked down for like the super high end, like luxury, non-custom mattress market, mass produced. Um, and I just, I just thought it was like an interesting, to actually like really see it and see kind of how the store is laid out and um, kind of hear him talk about it. I'm like that actually makes a good amount of sense. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> that's my sleep number tangent. Interesting company and a good product. Um, Matt's asking what you're mattress. <laughs> Yeah. High tech mattresses. That's a that's Not a Brad so that's a Brad Kellner shirt. We miss there. Brad. That's what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, yeah we, where's Brad? I don't know why. <laughs> need Brad. He needs to fix his time zone. Um, if you follow Brad on Twitter, can we all pressure him? Ask where he is. Get him back on the show. We need yeah. Brad back. Everyone ask ask where Brad is. Um, a bit of peer pressure doesn't hurt. Hit him up in the DMs. Just fill up his DMs. Yeah. He's active on Twitter. He's alive. So uh, we need to get him back on here. Um, even if it means he has to stay up late one day, <laughs> just one day. <laughs> Maybe we got to get more midweek shows with him. We should, we should uh, get on those midweek shows again. Um, 
probably start start interviewing some folks would be a good idea bring bring in some new faces um because there's there's a lot of undiscovered folks in just on youtube in general and in this kind of value investing content world it's a it's a small community but plenty of voices to be heard people should drop names if they recommend someone or something yeah um green channels yeah yeah, uh yeah please do in the in the discord as well we've gotten some ideas in the past and um we should pursue those. So if you have new ideas from there, let us know. J- James says he was talking to Brad earlier. He says he's busy. <laughs> so no, he's talking to James, huh? Not us. <laughs> no, we talk with Brad. He's in our chat. We, we have our, our value investing group chat. We love Brad. We just want to see more, more Brad. Everyone wants to see more Brad. You don't see him enough. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of going back through the chat, see if we missed anything because we had quite a bit early. Oh, did you guys catch the new um, podcast that Tom put out with Monsoon and then with Jake Taylor? I watched uh, uh, the Monsoon one. Um, yeah, I listened was, to most of Monsoon as well. Yeah, that, that was good. Um, I never really heard. Uh, has she ever done any content really? I know she has a Twitter, but I never followed it until now. Um, but she's very well spoken, and it was it was interesting hearing her as like a very young fund manager you know it's kind of it's kind of an interesting perspective i think i'm more excited for the jake taylor episode i've just been too busy to listen have you is that a good one karan i i, I, know I haven't, I haven't gotten to it yet i was hoping i still need to watch the brett kelly one um i have it saved on my watch later i still haven't watched it um uh it was it was, it was below monsoon on the uh the watch later queue so i just never got to it i need to get to that um tom's got a solid lineup <laughs> yeah, he does. He, and he's been he's pumping them out like quite a few, like kind of pretty much back to back to back. He's hoarding them, I guess. <laughs> I saw a clip from the Jake Taylor one where they get into um, very important discussions. I don't know if you guys saw that. The nah. the preview. Yeah, he put up a teaser clip. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch this. I didn't watch this teaser as I didn't want spoilers because <laughs> I know I'm going to watch it. So. <laughs> Louis says Jake Taylor was one of the best, in my opinion. I think Jake Taylor is one of the most interesting guys in the investing space to listen to, um, which you don't get too much. He just has that weekly appearance, I guess, with Tobias and Bill Brewster. Um, what's that show called? The Value, Value After Hours. Value After Hours, um, yeah. And he's just such a smart guy. Like Even when it's not investing topics, he's just interesting to listen to. Good sense of humor. Seems like a really smart guy. So I think I wish Jake had more content online. So I'm keen to listen to that episode with Tom. Are you ever going to revive your your podcast, Frank? Yeah, I, I'm going to, well, different approach. I'm going to do a Lone Wolf podcast starting okay. next year. Um, I, Is it going to be gonna, you? I'm going to overcommit. Yeah, it's going to be me and a guest every time. I plan to do one per month with, I'm going to keep the focus of microcaps and overlooked kind of stocks. Try and get either management, um, private investors, okay. fund managers, that type of thing, and not overdo it. I think committing to once a week, at That's least with lot. my current work schedule, it's almost impossible. So I'm going to do one per month, keep it as high quality as possible, try and get quality guests. Um, yeah, so that way I think I can stick to it a bit more. Yeah, you know, one, of, one of the guests you had on a while back, when you were running Seeking Value, um, I think it was Seeking Value or it might have been your channel. Uh, I, I talked with Mitch Dole, um, 
a while back. Um, yeah. Fellow Australian. Uh, and we were just talking, we, we connected on Twitter because he, he's, he reacted to some of my stuff and uh, it's just kind of cool. Like how this kind of close com- uh, community, just like the, all the interesting people you can meet from very different perspectives. Like, I, I mean, it's how we all met, <laughs> like all, all aligned via this weird space we're in. Um, and it's cool. Like how you can just connect with people and have like genuine, interesting conversations with people on the regular, almost on demand. Like if you want to talk with somebody, you can just reach out directly to a lot of these people, which is really cool. Go, go networking, go social media. <laughs> so great. Well, before I kind of started the content creation online, I guess I really didn't have anyone to talk investing with. Yeah. None of my real life friends, I guess have any very <laughs> all, little interest. Who are your fake life friends. They, the only interest they have in investing, I guess is buying a house, maybe buying a second house as an investment yeah. property. And beyond that, there's, the understanding surprises me sometimes. I forget how deep you go down a rabbit hole of the stock market and how much outsiders have very little understanding yeah. of what's yeah. happening. It's like pump um, the brakes sometimes on what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, so there's no kind of conf- conversation with them about investing that interests me. Um, and that's not to be arrogant. That's just they're not interested. They have their yeah, own interests. it's different interests. Um, yeah. And once the content creation started online, I mean, you guys, as well as random people that, I message through DMs, end up talking to, Zooming, all that thing. Um, it makes it a lot more fun to talk to other like-minded people. And it's cool seeing uh, people who really built some big stuff. Um, I, I, I love talking talking about that with anyone. Just like, like how did you do that? Like, whoa, like <laughs> you built out this team. Like, how, like it, it's just really cool to actually be able to just reach out directly to people who would not probably be in your organic circle of friends. Um, um, almost like supercharging kind of the, the people you can talk to. <laughs> Manu says we could all be AI generated. <laughs> They're all a simulation. <laughs> that is true. Have you, have you guys been playing around with chat GPT? Cause that's, that's a trip. That, that is, that's a trip. Yeah. I, um, I have been a little bit. It's yeah. I don't know. I have, some really positive things about it. And then I kind of think it's overhyped at the same time. And I don't know where I sit on that yet. I almost think it's underhyped having explored it a lot. Like the poetry it can put out is unbelievable. (laughs) Like like really creative stuff. And then you can turn off a lot of its kind of limitations just by telling it to. And then like, it's weird how much it's holding itself back. It's crazy. But anyways, (laughs) To, to clarify there, I, I maybe agree with you there with the actual product and what it is and what it can do. Yeah. More so the threat to Google is what I think. Oh, is sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, Which, maybe. Yeah. I do people, people saying like Google is dead. Yeah. That's silly. But, um, and maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I ate my words and yeah, not, not today, maybe in a while it needs a lot of work, but um, I just say, I don't see how Google couldn't do that. Um, from some things I've been reading online, it seems that, Google already have their own type of AI that can do exactly this, but they've been unable to put it within their products and services that they have to make it valuable um, and that they haven't want to really push it yet. And this is going to pressure them to maybe release something earlier than they wanted to. Um, mm. But that that's speculation. That's just people talking online, I yeah. guess. But I don't see things- how a company like Google couldn't afford to create something that 
they right. have or buy. Like have DeepMind, isn't that their equivalent? Don't know enough to answer. No, that I don't one. know. Um, one of the um, one of the weird things about I, I've used uh, Jasper in the past, which I think was probably the gold standard before this dropped um, for AI writing, and and it was pretty powerful and it was impressive. But um, this one is definitely better, um, at least in my experience. And it's free at the moment because they're testing it. I don't know what it's going to be priced at if and when they make it paid. But uh, it's weird because it, it's using a closed universe of facts because it, it, it basically searched the internet or however they did it up to 2021. Jasper, I think, was up to like 2018 or 19. Um, so having it replace Google would be kind of weird because it's relying exclusively on old Google stuff. So unless they're constantly updating it, I don't know how it would do that. Maybe they could. Maybe the technology is just not quite there, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting though. And unnerving at the same time, <laughs> like well, whatever's going to happen with the creative space. And just what do you think is like the general. real life disruption that happens? Like what's the best use case for something like that? Certainly for writing. Um, as someone who's put out quite a few blog articles and has hired people to do that as well. It's, uh, um, I think it's, dare I say, it's basically made an average writer obsolete because that almost is an average writer, at least better than a lot of writers out there. So, um, because what often happens is you get like a, a a draft article from someone who's maybe an okay writer, then you're going to end up editing it and, and, and tuning it to whatever you do. Or you can just plug the same prompt into an AI bot it gives you about the same quality draft article. You make your edits from there and then you're done. It's the same amount of time. And only this time you didn't have to hire anyone. Um, that's, that's a big disruption in that space for writing in general. Um, but do you think and, that humans would be willing to trust what an AI is writing over a human? Do you think there's any? Probably not yet. But is it, it not I think like it, art where people, people still want driving to AI? Yeah, it's true. It's true. I think I when, it's a, when it's a creative thing, I think it's different. When there's, like, it's the same as art. Like, AI art is never going to replace the I, historical art. I don't know we, how much you've tried with the creative stuff. I know stuff. how the good thing it is, but is, no this thing one's is kind pay. of insane with creative stuff, like funny stuff too. I've asked it to write satirical articles on like specific people, and it's it's kind of insane. Um, but it's never I mean, going to be perfect. Picasso. It's, it's never going to be Picasso, and ChatGPT is never going to be. Shakespeare, it, name your person. It could mimic them quite well. Is it kind of point oh isn't, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really close, which is what's kind of I. I was freaking out for like a couple hours, like days, like whatever, whatever it dropped, like shortly after that, I was like, "Whoa!" I didn't realize how how great this was. Um, I've been um, yeah. mucking around with it for my upcoming Lomos article and how I can kind of incorporate it in there. Mm-hmm. And, and it definitely will help with writing, I think, just even clarifying simple concepts in a different way. Uh, yeah, I, I've used it a little bit, so I can see the use case. But Yeah, what what uh, I've used Jasper before was you plug it into a, it's almost like a, a Google Doc. So you can just have it do AI. You could have the AI just pump out like sentences like or, or finish the sentence sort of deal. Um so it like destroys writer writer's block. Um, I've, I've used that before. So I, I'm sure chat GPT could do a similar thing. 
Um, but the interface was really nice with Jasper because it's just like a, it's almost like a word doc and you can plug it in as you, as you want. Whereas the, the chat bot is, it's a chat. So it's a little, a little more cumbersome in that sense, but still super powerful. And it has a lot more range in the stuff it can cover. Um, anyways, is that enough AI? <laughs> one more, one more AI. I just want to touch yeah, yeah. on. There's one in university. I wish I had. Um, so it's called Quillbot. I think is the name, mm-hmm. and it's just a paraphrasing kind of tool. So it'll just reword a paragraph of writing, um, and it's pretty insane with how great it can rephrase. And you can adjust it more and more and more yeah. through the software. Um, so I just figured when I was writing these pointless papers at university, it would have been much better to just copy and paste a Quillbot. I know as a lazy university student, that would have been very handy. So <laughs> if you're studying something and you feel like you're writing pointless things, Quillbot. Uh, I, so part of me about this, I was actually thinking about that. Someone commented in like one of my friend groups they were like, oh, like, you know, how do you, how's this going to work for writing essays in school and all that? And part of me always wants to think like, you know, schools don't let you hire people. They don't let you like use tools, but like, when you get out into the real world, that's all you're doing, or at least that'd be a very marketable skill. If, if, if you say I got through school hiring a bunch of people to do all my work, you know, like that's actually not, it's kind of impressive. I get, it's like not academically honest, but you know, it's, I don't know how I feel about it. It's like, yeah, I get, you want to do it yourself. You build the skills, whatever, but you're also ignoring the skill of delegation, which is hard to do. Um, but yeah, not don't cheat on your test kids, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I'd find it kind of funny how quickly people like say, ah, oh, that's cheating to use that. It's like, well, I mean, when you get into the actual world, like you use a calculator, so, you know, anyways, uh, you got to know how the calculator is doing things too. So it makes sense. But sometimes you have to game the system. Sometimes your test yeah. isn't worth what it's made out to be. And it's okay to. No. Yeah. For pointless assignment. Sure. But like you know, the if you're trying to actually get something out of it. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> A lot of stuff. there's a lot of things that should be changed with school, but and that's always the case. But uh, yeah, <laughs> well, we went off the rails a little bit there. Should we go back on topic? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we off. <laughs> that was fun though. That's the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> James. Oh, LA, James. Wow. well said, James. Perfect. I'm not cheating. I'm cloning. Well said. <laughs> Shameless cloning. That's how did we miss that? Well said, James. Um, should we bring this back down to earth? Any any final points? Cheapness, stocks, business, whatever it is. What do you? Anything? Even beyond this, some other Any random questions topic. that seem interesting. Anyone want to get that last question about whatever? <laughs> Luis says his imaginary friends are very impressed with his investing skills. I think that's <laughs> the case for all of us. Aren't we your imaginary friends? <laughs> Might be a real friend if we if you come to uh, the Berkshire meeting. I'll be there. Uh, are you guys uh, planning on being there as well this this may join me please join the dark side <laughs> i'm an unlikely at this point we'll see yeah same here. it is halfway around the world for me but true it's tempting Cron- i would apply for a visa if it comes through then perhaps not sure what's that process look like uae to u.s I don't know. I mean, I think it takes like two <laughs> months or so. <laughs> two months? Yeah, just to get the visa. So, 
have that U.S. passport privilege, and it's hard to imagine. Oh, that's <laughs> like, like you're just flying wherever you want. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, it was really nice. You can't fly and think you're not missing much. It, it was really hard to travel as a, with a U.S. passport in 2020. Uh, because of all the COVID policies. Oh, I said the yeah. word. Oh no, uh, we're gonna get demonetized. <laughs> um, so we don't make much anyway. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that there goes our three dollars. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it got difficult for a moment. But yeah, just having a um, it's a, it definitely is a privilege. So, same with having reserve currency, right? But who, who knows how long those privileges last? <laughs> Give it time. Everything needs enough time. Matt says he'll be there. Already has his plane and hotel booked. Um, I reserved my hotel, but have not bought it yet. But uh, be sure to reserve a room if you haven't already. Um, even if that means you don't actually pay until you get there, at least reserve it. Because um, there's not that many hotels in Omaha. Any final thoughts? Looking at some of it. Uh, Manu says, strangely, AI is best at the subjective stuff. I would tend to agree with this one. It's kind of, it's very surprising. There were some questions on top about Porsche. Like, Take it away, Karan. Around 7, well, okay, around 7, 10. So that's like 8, I think, for you. Or 9, 9, 10. That would be 9, I think, 9, 9, 9, 10. This one? Has anything changed with Porsche? Porsche. Yes. This, is your, this is your ballpark. Um, yeah, so they, they had a meeting. They had an extraordinary general meeting yesterday where they announced the special dividend and everything. So I think the vote is still pending, but it's expected to go through because, I mean, you have one shareholder pretty much controlling the way the vote goes, So, which is Porsche Holdings. So, so yeah, we're expecting the dividend around 9th of Jan. And, uh, yeah, should come through. There's your update from Karan Grani himself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's been a mistake. Like Porsche has been a mistake on my part for this this year. So it goes into the what, pushing basket. <laughs> what is it that went wrong? I think just the holding company structure is what sucks. Like in terms of let it be process or pushing or uh, Porsche. I think this structure. There's. I mean, like they seem cheap but cheap with a good reason, you know? I mean, you always see the discount in half, but yeah, I'm trying you, to realize that it's justified. Yeah. yeah, how do you close the gap? There's not a lot of mechanisms to do it, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. if the Porsche holding company structure collapsed and they just distributed the Volkswagen and the Porsche AG shares, it would just double at this point. Easy so, double? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Easy devil, just dissolve. <laughs> just dissolve. Done. Distribute. <laughs> Wind up. <laughs> what kind of went wrong with the public listing, I guess? Like sometimes when you're looking at these deep value asset kind of plays, you want the catalyst. And the catalyst theoretically was the listing. It worked Why? out. How did it, it actually good. go? It wasn't the share like, price? Maybe I didn't follow for long enough. I thought the share price was down not long after. No, so it went up like almost 20-30% over the last two months, three months. Right, okay. So it was only the original right at the start that it was lagging. Yeah, 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 just the first. Okay. I think on the first day also it went up. Like, and it's been doing decently well in 
I think Porsche AG is going to also join the German index on Monday, on the 19th of December. So it's going to have that index inclusion bump probably. So, I mean, the listing was great. It got in at the higher end of the expectations. Everything was good, but um, for some reason, it didn't translate into value for the holding company or for Volkswagen. Oh, sorry. That's what, I, that's what I meant, though. Was the holding company not up share price-wise? It crashed 20%. See, that, I no that's idea. what I was kind of getting at, where the catalyst of this listing should have been, theoretically, um, that listing, which the holding company should have reacted, yeah. but it didn't. What, what's the reasoning there, in your opinion? That's what I'm, I'm stumped. Like, I have no idea. I actually don't yeah. get it. <laughs> and the world may never know. Um, we got a question here from Soshin again. Can you guys do an episode in the future on each of your investment biases? We did we did something about investment biases like way early on. Um, maybe we should revisit that because um, biases change all the time. So, you know, as Karan just mentioned his bias against holding companies now. So is that is that a, a new bias? Um, yeah, Brookfield, Brookfield is an easy pass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Have you guys looked into Brookfield at all? I mean, I know it's been a hot topic ever since Monish put like 1%. No, I barely, barely. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not the type of company that would interest me, but I also don't know anything about it. Giant real estate company. That's, that's kind of it. Um, I, didn't, this- I, I didn't really understand, un- unless it's just a shameless clone. I don't know what... Did, has he explained his kind of overall thesis with it at all? Or no, I don't seem to recall that. It's, it just seems kind of weird. In the spawner, that's it. I in guess. his spawner presentation, that's it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Not really. Is Jason busy having a conversation? (laughs) Jason's actually negotiating on behalf of races for this new (laughs) land plot that's there. Yeah, so he's busy. (laughs) Yes, yes, Jason is busy. Oh, there, here he is. Build a Carvana um, thing in in Turkey. (laughs) Jason, right after that, says, Sorry, I couldn't make it today. Jack, welcome to the Heritage Club. We saved a box in the Midwest just for you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> that's all that's left <laughs> does it come with a parking lot <laughs> yeah no just a box um cool well i hope you had as great of a time as i did in this conversation guys and i hope everyone enjoyed listening to us talk about whatever we just talked about we talked about cheapness versus quality for a little while and we talked about a bunch of other things too but that's, that's the beauty of a live show right you, you, you never know what you're really going to get so um, I hope you all enjoyed. Um, do what the our ticker down at the bottom is telling you to do, which is check out the links in the description, join our Discord, and don't forget to subscribe. It's right there for you. So if you forgot, it's rolling again. Check out the links in the description, join our Discord, and be sure to subscribe. And also hit the and like button. Brad also. <laughs> yeah, and, and Brad nicely. Say, spam hey, Brad. Brad. DM Brad, him what? every day until he's back on the show. Yeah, right. right. We, we, we got to get him on, at least for an episode, just to, you know, to ask him how he's doing. We want to know how Brad's doing. I'm sure all of you do, too. So anyways, 
with that said, um, I got nothing else. So until next time, everyone, see ya. Thanks for tuning in to Punch Card Investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you and see you next week.